Hi, welcome to season two of Old Enough for Fairy Tales. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Anna. And this week I went to a space circus. So I'm going to jump right into recent reads because the intro I was talking about Suspended in the Stars by my friend Emily Hendricks, who's also my cover designer for my Talitha series. She did a Kickstarter for her book, Suspended in the Stars, and I backed her Kickstarter. So I got the ebook early and got to read it. And I read it. So when she initially wrote the story, she did a blog a book in like during COVID. Her and her friend did a blog a book. So she would like write it and upload it and people would read it or whatever. And this is the book that she did that on. And so I read like the first 50,000 words when it was in its infancy. And now that's just like the first third of the book. So like the first third, I was like, oh, this is familiar. I know what's going on. They're like in yeah. space in the circus. And then I got to the latter half and I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> she said the greatest showman meets Star Wars. And that's a really oh, apt description. That. And I would add in, I would add in, it's also got like Tangled vibes in it okay. a little bit. Like the main character is very Flynn Rider-esque in the, the girl's a little bit different than Rapunzel, but it's like the same vibe. Ooh. And it's book one in a trilogy. And, but it kind of like stands on its own a little bit. Like it ends kind of like the first Star Wars movie like it ends like there's still questions but it's like a satisfying okay. ending yeah and so I think it releases it releases in November I want to say 7th or 14th or something like that and it's okay good and I'm not a big <laughs> sci-fi reader so to read like no, a cozy spot, like it's like a soft sci-fi fantasy oh, almost that's so it's nice so good so I'm going to talk about my first recent read and I'm excited to talk about this one because this book is it was just like everything that I've been looking for in a book lately. It had, I just love the style of book. Remember how I always talk about Before the Coffee Gets Cold, that series? Mm-hmm. It's similar. It's similar, but it's also has nothing to do with time travel or anything like that. It just has kind of a similar feeling as you're reading it. This book is called Days at the Morisaki Bookshop. It's by Satoshi Yagisawa, and the translator is Eric Ozawa. And I read this book in like two afternoons. It was very short. I actually listened to it. It was a lovely listen. It really was. But at the very beginning, our main character has kind of a bunch of bad stuff is happening to her. <laughs> she gets dumped because her, oh no, she doesn't get dumped. Sorry. She, right at the beginning, her boyfriend tells her that he's engaged to someone else, but they can still see each other. And she's like, <laughs> what? absolutely not (laughs) exactly she's like oh my word I didn't know that you were dating someone else and she's like obviously very sad and they work together so she quits quits her job and she brings up with her boyfriend because he's engaged to someone else and he and yeah so she's basically like in the gutter kind of a deal breaker right (laughs) yes and her mom is really worried about her but she's very Takako is very stubborn she's like I moved to Tokyo I don't want to go back to I think her her parents live in the countryside or something and she's just like I don't want to go back there and like admit that I failed or something and so basically her mom kind of covertly reaches out to her weird uncle and her who lives in Tokyo and her uncle reaches out to her and is like hey you should come help at the bookstore come live here because he owns this weird funky little bookshop so she is very reluctant but she finally goes and she stays in like the the upper 
the upper level of this bookstore. She basically runs the shop. She doesn't care about reading at all. She doesn't read. But throughout the book, she discovers reading and she discovers stories and, and she starts to love them. And she starts to make friends. And it's really cool, like how she starts to just like heal and it's not very like I didn't find a lot of self-pity in it it didn't feel like oh my boyfriend oh like angsty it didn't feel like that at all it was (laughs) honestly very dry in a good way and it was very like it had that kind of dry straightforward storytelling tone that is just outside of the main character's head enough to be like like you're you're not feeling every tiny bit of their emotion along with them. So it's mm. not like draining, but you still kind of, you know, are are going through their experience with them. And and it was very good. And it, it went through time pretty quickly. And um she meets friends along the street. She basically the bookstore is on the street of bookshops. So like every shop on this on the street is a bookstore, which is delightful. That sounds like the best street ever. Yeah. Exactly. And I would have no money if I lived exactly. on less Exactly. And her one of the main plots of the book is her uncle's wife left him. And she, she's very surprised because they were like hardcore in love. And he won't really say a clear like a clear reason why he doesn't really know that much. He's kind of just like, oh, we just kind of we just had to mm-hmm. take different paths or something like that. But there's more to the story and she learns about that and more happens I don't want to spoil anything but more happens in that storyline so it's really just interesting and fun and short and it's just like it has that small town but not small town obviously Tokyo is not a small town (laughs) but it's like small community kind of this little bookish cafe community in Tokyo and just things that are happening and people she meets in the bookstore and discovering reading and and she has this friend and there's this guy that really likes her friend and so her guy friend comes to her and it's like hey I really like your friend will you help me like I've never been able to speak to her I think they work together and he's like I've never said anything to her and she's like how are you ever going to like date her she's never even spoken a word to her (laughs) which is like honestly relatable valid (laughs) and she's just like I'm gonna help you so she helps set them up and so the girl like slowly realizes how great of a guy this guy is and and she helps them and it's just wholesome and sweet and like a very nice little tale so yeah that is Days at the Morisaki Bookshop by Satoshi Yagisawa my next recent read, I read because I've had it for a while on my like shelf on my TBR, but I agreed to be part of a book tour for this book. It came out two or three years ago, um, but the author was doing a book tour for it like now to like reignite like interest in it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I need to kind of read it if I'm going to do this book tour. <laughs> and so I, I picked it off the shelf and I read it. We were doing a, like a moving sale the week I read it. And like a bunch of other stuff, but it it kept my interest even with all of the craziness that was going around. And this book is The Wolf Queen by Tabby Kaplinger. And it was so good. It's a standalone, very Norris Viking-esque Ooh. world building. So like they the, the main character is named Yelka, I think is how you say it. Again, I read it, so I don't know how to pronounce the name. <laughs> oh, Velka. V-L-K-A. Velka. Hmm. And Rowan is the guy and there's this world in which there is the the two god characters are basically like light and darkness i'm not going to try and pronounce the names because i do not remember them and i do not have the book with me right now my brother's reading it but they're like at odds with each other and velka is very 
like she has this gift from the light where she can sense the light and darkness within people. Mm-hmm. So she can like look into their eyes and like sense are they more given to the darkness or more to the light? Wow. And so when she meets the prince, Rowan, she looks into him and she, I love the quote. She's like, you're not fully light and you're not fully darkness. You're this beautiful, tragic gray color. So he's like right in the middle and he has not decided if he is going to follow the light or the darkness. Wow. And so there's this whole prophecy in the story where the the priestess and the dragon are going to be like mm-hmm. reborn and they're going to come back and they're going to wage war on the land for the darkness and to I win the people so to the darkness. Intrigued. And when I tell you, it was so good. It was so good. And the and there's some other characters you meet. There's like um, Velka's bodyguard who was orphaned as a child and he was raised by this woman in the village and he's like sworn to serve Velka. Oh, and there's this, okay, this very beginning you find this out. So Velka's mother was murdered by her uncle who wanted to take over the tribe that she mm-hmm. rules. And so he took Velka and left her for, or he tried to kill her or something. I don't remember everything that happens, but he, she ends up in the woods and she's raised by wolves, which is why she's called the Wolf Queen. Because when she okay. came back to the tribe, she had a whole pack of wolves with her and two of them stayed as like her companions. And so there's through the whole thing, she has forgotten like her childhood. She's like, there's something missing. I know how to speak the human language. I know how to like care for myself and dress myself and she's like i i wouldn't know that if i was raised by wolves so she's like there's mm. something missing so there's yeah. this storyline of her remembering things from her childhood and it's just so good and then they, and there's like sacrifice and there's it's so good the ending All the good stuff <laughs> like made me so happy because there's like so much like tension and, and angst mm-hmm. like just in the storyline mm-hmm. itself which is very it's very allegorical in like okay. the message which i loved i loved how how tabby wrote it it was beautiful. I'm and excited. I love that it's a standalone because by the time you're in it, you're like happy and satisfied. And it's just long enough. Like it's a very, and it's very optominal because it's like the wolves and the Vikings and everything. And it was, it was very good. It was very good. And I loved it. I gave it a five stars. That is going on my list. In fact, I already put it on my list like, <laughs> while you were talking. So, and as I was reading it, I was like, this is one that my 14 year old brother could read. And so he's oh, reading nice. it now for his silent reading book for school. I he's... love a book that has a wide range of audience. Mm-hmm. she wrote it for her daughters her Aww. her like middle school daughters so it's like very like you yeah. can be an adult and read it and, and get a lot out of it or you can be you know in high school middle school and enjoy it too so i would say the same thing about you know that book go dog go <laughs> <laughs> my grandpa used to read that too most of very little it was as wide he- range of audience <laughs> Allie's favorite book. She'd go and get it every time we were at Grandma book. Grandpa's and have Ad- Grandpa read it to her. I love that book so much. That's such a good book. Yeah, I'm going to link it. If you haven't read Go.go, it's a treasure. <laughs> do you like my hat? I do not like your hat. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. You always oh, have to be dramatic. Read. It's so good. Anyway, that's not my <laughs> recent read. Um, my next recent read is Age of Myth by Michael J. Sullivan. This is a recommendation from my dad. I saw it to this podcast on your Goodreads. Uh-huh. And I was like, that cover is stunning. And I don't even know what this uh-huh. book is about, but I'm adding yeah. it to my TBR because the cover is stunning. It The cover is beautiful. It's beautiful. So this is the first book in the Legends of the First Empire. And let me talk about Michael J. Sullivan for a minute, because I think this is worth 
saying. So I have never read one of his books before. This is my first book from him. But he had a foreword at the beginning of the book. And he basically said, I write different from other authors. I know that this is not realistic for everyone. And it's not best for everyone. But I write every single book in the series before starting to release them. Which is crazy. I've never heard of anyone doing that. I have actually. And I think it makes sense if it's a very complicated plot. Because if you release the first book and you've said something and then as you're writing you're like wait this doesn't work Mm -hmm. well you're stuck because the book's out in the world yeah and he talked about that he talked about some other reasons and he talked about how like aside from publishing obligations there's no you know like he doesn't have to write under deadline which stresses him out (laughs) jealous and and he and then when he's releasing all of them like we there's no question of like you know what like with Brandon Sanderson's books he takes like 20 years to write the sequel because he's Mm -hmm. writing seven other series at the same time yeah so that's just how Michael J. Sullivan writes I think it's very cool so this is basically a series that is um, a prequel series to a different series you do not have to read the other series first though and I didn't, obviously. I just started with this book um, and my dad recommended it. This book, okay, I gave it 3.5 stars, but I think other people would give it four or even five stars. It's very good quality of writing. It's very masterful in the way it tells stories and it weaves things together very well. I think if I read the entire series all at once, I would, like, my mind would be blown. But I don't know if I'm going to read the rest of the series. So, but like, I really think that this book is a five-star book for some people. It just wasn't for me and that's okay. So this book is about, (laughs) basically we open and there's this guy and his father and his father's like, our land is like really, like there's, they're basically like Viking clans pretty much. And in their clan, they don't have a lot of resources. All of his sons, except for this one son, died in war. His mom and his sister died. So it's just him oh and his my dad. Gosh. So him and his dad are basically crossing over this river that you're forbidden to cross over into this land that is like the land of the gods, basically. So humans are one race and then there's this secondary race called the fray and the fray are considered godlike but then there's a third race that's even higher up but the humans they are basically like oh the phrase are, are gods and they're not allowed over this river and so but they cross it and they're like oh we can hunt and we can live here and the land is really good and whatever and as soon as they kill like their first year they run into a fray and they're like oh it's a god that's awkward. And the, the god has, has two servants with them. The god is like, what are you doing? Like, you are not allowed to be here. Like, we don't allow weapons. Like, you need to put down your weapons and leave. And he basically is forcing them to, like, throw everything they have down and go away. And the father has this sword that's really, it's like a family heirloom. It's super important to him. And he pulls it and he's going to, like, defend himself because he has his pride. And he doesn't want to give up this family heirloom. And the god Hello, kills him, obviously. You- stupid (laughs) i know and the sword the like family heirloom shatters and the son wraith is his name he's like you just killed my dad and he basically like goes at the fray and um he's about to be killed and one of his the god slaves hits the god over the head with a rock which i did not (laughs) see coming and then they kill the god and then they're like okay we're on the run now 
And so that is one story. It's Wraith and this god's slave. And basically, Wraith learns over time that the Frey are not gods. <laughs> they have some power. They're obviously more powerful and, and they have this special land and everything. But okay, one of the main characters we follow, she is like the third highest race. They're also not gods, but some of them consider themselves to be. And they basically have this thing that they call the art where they can create things, but it's not like they can just create anything. Like they can manipulate certain elements and things like that, but it's not like that's limitless or they can just breathe life into being. It's not like that. <laughs> um, so I wouldn't say that this book is by any stretch of the imagination sacrilegious. So don't worry about that. But so so we have Wraith wandering through the woods. He's known as the God Killer, and that title is like spreading throughout the land. And so he has to be really careful. No, he did, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, he struck the final blow, but it was he did not do it by himself. <laughs> and then we have um, Arian, I think her name is, and she's um, lit. She's basically like the gods quote-unquote gods prince's tutor and there's some other storylines and you get to know kind of that side of things through her perspective and then the third perspective that we see from is persephone and she is the wife of one of the viking clan's chieftains that storyline starts out where the chieftain is dead she learns that he's dead and there's this young mystic girl coming to her telling her that the entire world is about to end so oh, that's, that's very interesting. I loved Persep Persephone's perspective. I loved the characters in the village. They're so much fun and super nice to get to know. It's kind of a found family situation. And eventually Wraith comes to that village. And then you have other like Frey and gods who end up around that clan. And there's like, you kind of get different perspective once in a while of things that are going on behind the scenes of, you know, some of the higher ups or some of the villains or something like that. And, you know, once in a while a character will be like, oh, but, but that's a god, you can't kill a god or something like that. <laughs> and then one of the other characters who's more familiar with all of the like species will just be like they're not gods you fool and they'll just be <laughs> like there's a lot of humbling in that for some of the characters and yeah that I really like that it's it's a good way to look at that I I enjoyed it I really did it had a lot of like sense of adventure and and it was very well written it just like it didn't wow me and it didn't give me that sense of like shocked wonder that I love in a five-star book but I I would recommend it if this sounds up your alley yeah that's Age of Myth by Michael J. Sullivan so season two we're very excited for this next part as we talked about in the last episode of season one we're going to be switching things up just a tad and we're going to be talking about more Things about publishing and writing and agency and more behind the scenes of books. From one perspective, this seems like an inexhaustible topic, but, you know, we're also very willing to kind of travel off into other territories. So if you have something that you just want to learn more about, it's not that we know everything. There may be some Googling and research involved, <laughs> but Anna is a traditionally published author and... I am a journalist and have a lot of other experience in like I just read a lot of books about writing and about publishing and about like publishing agents and things like that so I guess I just know some stuff and so we both have kind of different perspectives of these things and and we want to we we both think that readers should be more educated about how books are made and how writing mm -hmm. and, and publishing happens because 
I think that there's a lot of idolization and that happens and like celebrity status that gets put onto authors who either don't want that or don't deserve it. <laughs> it's usually one or the other. And yeah. yeah, we just want to break down some misconceptions and and talk about what's real. Another thing I want to mention is that we might not always be talking about books. So suppose Anna is reading a book and in the book they talk a lot about archaeology and she just finds it so fascinating so we might spend like 15 minutes an episode talking about how she Anna finds archaeology fascinating that might sound really boring to you if it does teach their own but like (laughs) I mean we probably want to talk about archaeology but you never know like if we're reading about something in a book that we just find so like literally I'm reading a book right now and they're talking about how much a pound of gold is worth and like I just found that fascinating I probably wouldn't bring that to the podcast (laughs) I just did but you know if we it might not always be about books because we don't want to go on and on and on about books and publishing and you know obviously this is a podcast about books but if you're interested in something else and if we get interested in something else you know we're normal readers too and if we find something interesting that we're gonna assume that someone out there is also gonna find it interesting what I'm reading right now is the arsenic arsenic poisoning yes, and I think that's exactly. really interesting exactly. and like how they we might talk about that figured it out in like what was it 1820 like they could prove mm-hmm. that this person was murdered with arsenic poisoning but it wouldn't hold up in a court of law because yes. autopsy was a very Stuff new thing like that oh my word we can have like murdery things that sounds bad <laughs> but you know like oh, I love it okay all right Anna let us hear what is what is a, a myth or a misconception about writing and traditionally publishing? So this is kind of true for like traditional publishing. And it's usually why people decide to go traditional versus independent or mm-hmm. like a smaller press. And it's because marketing is done for you. And that is not true unless you are like projected to be like the best selling book of the year for this publisher, 99% of the time you were doing all your own marketing mm-hmm. because they just like this misconception. I learned this at Row Makers. A lot of people go the traditional route because they think they will have to do less, have less of a social media presence or less of a, you know, talking up their own book and that the publisher will do it. But if you think about how many books are published a year, even traditionally, like that's mm-hmm. unrealistic for them to have like a budget for every single book yeah. to market it. Yeah. So you will be your chief marketer. Yeah. Whether you're traditionally published or you independently published. The perk of traditional is you aren't paying for edits. You aren't paying for like a cover or any of that. Like that is all taken mm-hmm. care of by the publisher. So marketing is really your only thing that you have to focus on and, and yeah. put money towards is your own marketing. And this isn't just the case for new authors. This is the case for mm-hmm. most authors, even the ones that you see, you know, on the New there, York There Times are exceptions. Yeah. Like definitely. what's the one? Um, It was her debut. And then she got like a movie deal. And like, I think it's a HarperCollins right. author. And like gonna she. Be, there's going to be extra got, marketing no matter what, mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's going to be, that's going to start bringing in a lot of money for the publishing company. Mm-hmm. But even if you're a popular author when you release a new book it's not like that one like momentum in books relevancy dies away very quickly Mm -hmm. and those you know new york best-selling stickers those types of things become irrelevant the next week 
Mm-hmm. And so it's not like that guarantees that you are going to, you know, be swimming in, in green and <laughs> suddenly that's green, a later point. You're, you're rushing ahead. Yeah. yeah sorry. <laughs> well, my first point is that there's this misconception that popular authors, the only thing that they do is write, like that's their full-time job. And I'm not saying that this never happens. This does happen. Sometimes, yes, there are some really big name authors who that is their job. They write, that's it. But most of the time, even if it's a very popular author, you know, someone that, you know, there's a line down the street for their book signing, things like that, that is their side gig. Writing is their side gig. And a lot of people don't understand that there's this like, you know, in media and Hollywood, there's a lot of presentation of writers as like glitzy and glamour, and but that's just not the case. It drives me nuts in movies because again, yeah. I was at Realm Makers my first year, and they were talking about like, which will be my next point is like what authors make as a general rule. And it's like, so when you see movies where it's like, oh, they're a million dollar best-selling author, it's like, no, they're not. There's no way they are. Books aren't that expensive. Even if they can write like 10 a year or -hmm. like 12 a year and publish every month, like you're still not going to be a million dollar author. No. Like you're not. (laughs) Mm -mm. Yeah. Yeah. And that even, I mean, in in this discussion, we're kind of humbling authors. We're not glorifying them, but it's also giving them some merit to say like, writing is hard work. Mm It's wonderful and enjoy it. Like we wouldn't do it if we don't love it. But it's hard work. And the fact that we can't, I say we, but, you know, the fact that writers in general can't, like, that's not their full-time job speaks even even more to the fact that, like, they're not doing it for the money. (laughs) No No. one is writing for the money. My next point is we kind of hit on it with Kirsten's first point, but traditionally published authors usually make less than self-published authors. However, they don't have to pay anything up front. Mm-hmm. So if you go traditionally, you sign a contract and you say, I will take this percentage. Mm-hmm. Usually I was told for like the big five, it's usually like 10% of whatever is on the back of the book is what the author will make. Yeah. Um, And the publisher gets 90%, but that's because again, they're paying for a professional cover. They're paying for like probably three to four rounds of edits mm-hmm. and they're paying a small amount for marketing. Like I said, not a whole lot. But that means, like, for every book sold, the author only makes about, like, 10 cents a book, usually. Because um, most like books, it, yeah. like, most paper books are, like, 99 cents. So you make, like, 10, 10 cents a copy. Or 99, 9.99. What so world make, are you living in? Sorry. <laughs> Can I move there? <laughs> well, an ebook, But, um, yeah, you make, make like, 5 to 10 cents a, a book. Um, if they think your book is going to do extremely well, they will give you an advance of, I don't know, not a lot, sometimes like 250 or 3000 But that advance means that you have to sell that many books before you see any more money come in mm-hmm. from your yeah. book. So you're making very little. Now, when I self-published my first book, I think also I didn't pay for edits, which was a huge mistake. Pay for an editor, at least one round of edits, pay for it. Just cough it up and deal with it but I think I paid like a thousand dollars and because it was a debut I sold a lot of copies so I made that all back with like maybe like two hundred dollars more but you're not guaranteed that because then my next book I did not sell that many and I actually took a loss on that book when you're self-publishing you're paying for the cover because you want a good cover you do (laughs) you're paying for edits which you want a good editor yes 
um that is the biggest like critique on my debut was like it needed more edits i'm like yes yes it did you pay for like i paid for formatting because i don't know how to format on my own so i paid for formatting which was expensive and then any like pre-order swag or anything you're paying for that so it it probably balances out and you're doing like all the work yourself so it kind of balances out depending like how much work do you want to do how much querying all of that and then yeah and some of that is really i mean how much you know how we always say like i don't know why this book isn't more popular it's so good a lot of that i mean some books are just quote unquote undiscovered but a lot of that is like you know maybe one author their main career brought on a lot of dough and so they have a lot of money to spend on all of those things and maybe Mm -hmm. another author is just as good if not better and they just don't have that extra cash to spend Mm -hmm. on you know the whatever it is that that gets your book out there more which is why social media is your best avenue Mm -hmm. in my opinion okay my next point is that a lot of people think that as an author um this isn't as widely known of a misconception like this isn't as much of a myth as some of the other things but a lot of people think that authors when they publish a book you know they get an agent they get a publisher they have an editor and like they interact with those people and that's it if you have ever read any acknowledgement section of any book at all you will know that that's not true no there are like literally sometimes hundreds of people mm-hmm. that put work into a single book again realm makers because that's where i get most (laughs) (laughs) they said like they prefer that you write your first draft you do a round of Mm self-edits you send it to people like people you know people you trust yes to or or like readers in that genre to Mm -hmm. read it and give you feedback like do the characters make sense does the world building make sense does the themes like what is the theme that you noticed what is this this and this yep and then you do another round of self-edits before you query it at all yes yes oh good stuff (laughs) yes I so agree there's that and there's I mean a lot of people think when you think of an agent you think of the agent that the writer is interacting with but there's also publishing agents which is you know they're the ones who are traveling from bookstore to bookstore saying hey bookstore you should buy this book and you should buy this many of them here i'll send you a free copy so they're actually they're like salesmen but for bookstores and and typically they're pretty welcomed in in the bookstore it's not like they're door-to-door salesmen that's annoying like (laughs) their job is to go and represent the book that the publisher wants them to represent to each bookstore to sell all of these copies so there's all of these different people who are involved and some of these people the author might not even know about in in a traditional publishing sense but there's so many people if you're more curious about that pick up any book and read the acknowledgments seriously Mm -hmm. there's so many people and and it really does take a lot of um support from from certain you know local communities and surrounding communities and family and friends and things like that so Yes. And I'm, most I authors love... are very thankful for those people. Yes. Yes. I love seeing long lists of names and acknowledgements. <laughs> Sarah Ella's um, acknowledgement in the Looking Glass Illusion. Like, I read it and it made me like tear up. I was like, this yes! is so sweet. It's so Just, important. Just like the people, her people, and like seeing her mm-hmm. interact with those people at like Realm Makers or online or whatever. It's just like, it takes a village mm-hmm. to write a book. <laughs> it really does. Yes. Because a book is basically a child, it's stubborn and annoying, but you love it like it's your offspring. <laughs> I mean, to come true. from you, so <laughs> it's okay. probably just as painful. Like I've never had a child, but I'm I'm pretty sure it would be just it's 
yanking it out of your brain. <laughs> okay, let's not go too far with that metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's your next point, Anna? So this is more about writing. Okay. And speaking of Sarah Owl, I kind of stole it from her because I went through this this week while writing my current work in progress. So some people think you have to know the theme of your story before you start writing. Mm-hmm. Like you have to know what it's about. You have to know the end goal, which you kind of need to have a clue about what the end goal is, <laughs> but you don't have to like concretely know it, you know, because yeah. the one I'm writing on right now, I had, I had the like initial idea and I knew the the two main characters, like two of the main characters and like how I kind of wanted it to progress, but I had no idea beyond that, like anything. And I was, as I was writing, I got to 40,000 words, 45,000 words, um, which is about a little over halfway of what I want the word count to be. <laughs> so about the halfway point. And then it it clicked. There's this character um, in the original source material that I'm working with that I was like, I want to fit him in somewhere, but I don't know how. And mm-hmm. then it just, it clicked. And I was like, this is the theme. This is the message that I want to get across. And like Sarah Ella had said that with her Looking Glass Illusion or her Curious Realities books, that she didn't mm-hmm. know what the theme was for either book until like the week of her deadline. Oh, wow. And then she had to go back. Like she reached like the end, figured out what the theme was and then went back and made sure it was all like wow. incorporated to the rest of the stories for both books. And wow. that encouraged me because yeah. I am- a planter like I had a plot outline for this book it it diverged completely like mm-hmm. the first maybe 10 chapters are what was initially the plot outline and it is completely changed the end it's fine I love um, that when you're writing and you're discovering the characters yeah because you may know like what you want your characters to be like but then when you're writing they really take on a personality of their own like mm-hmm. it makes me sound crazy which is very true they no that's very true <laughs> they so one of my characters was supposed to be this nerdy, quiet type of character. And he came on the page wielding an axe, <laughs> taking on this monster creature, and was the sassiest, flirtiest little human ever. And I'm like, so excited. This is not what you were supposed to be at all. But it fit. <laughs> it worked. It it balanced out the other two yes. characters in those scenes. And I'm like, okay, this is what you are now. Um, whatever. I love that. Yes. Um, because like I had written out his personality type. I'm like, he's not here yet, but this is who he is. This is his backstory. And his backstory is breaking the, the rules that you set. Yeah. He was just like, no, this is who I am. I'm going to be a redhead writer. He fun. sang a whole Broadway song about it. <laughs> <laughs> this is me. But yeah, it and I think that's the beauty of not being stuck in an outline. Outlining is good, it helps you finish a book. Like it does. Definitely. But I think there's beauty in not being so hyper fixated on this is what the outline's supposed to be that you miss like the heart of your story, you miss the theme. And honestly, yes. not having the theme at the beginning allows your characters and you, and you yourself to discover what the theme is. Yeah. Yeah, it should be. I feel like I know that I am heading in the right direction with a book when it feels like it's gone beyond me. Like it feels like it's something bigger than I could sit down and create on my own, you know, because it's you know, when you write, it's, it's writing is made up of, you know, everyone, you know, everyone who has like poured into you as a person helps make you who you are. That goes into your Mm -hmm. book, things that you're learning, things that you're discovering in your own life and, and things that you feel and, and, and things that you want to say, but can't like that all goes into your book and it becomes so much bigger. It's like being a part of something that's bigger than yourself. Yeah. And that's so funny that you say that because 
something I learned at Rome Makers this year that God really like laid on my heart was like, he's going to do what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. You need to obey. And as I'm yes. writing this book, one of the characters has to come to grips with like the magic system is like has chosen him for a thing. And he's like, he literally says, I'm writing it. I'm typing it. I'm like in the zone, like seeing yeah. it in my head. And I'm like, the magic chose me for a reason. It's going to do what it's going to do. I just have to obey. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. Okay, God. <laughs> okay, God. Like, apparently oh my word, the I theme love of the that. book is what I learned at Rome. Yes. It's bled into this book. So, okay. That, as it should. As it should. <laughs> because then, you know, if you put your heart in a book, then readers are actually going to be able to see that and connect with it. And, and it makes such a big difference. So, yeah. Okay, my last point is that <laughs> in a, this is like a very big Hollywood thing in movies and and stuff like that. A lot of like the writer stereotype, you have, you know, whether it's a grumpy old man or like this career woman, whatever it is, people think that they have this right to be like stubborn and difficult and obstinate and send drafts in with a hundred typos and all these mistakes and like I'm not changing the title of my book or the name of this character blah 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 that is not true that is not tolerated in most publishing situations and if you are that way you should not expect to succeed as an author unless your writing is like perfect (laughs) which it's not I'm sorry which it's not no There will always be something they want you to change. (laughs) Yes. And when you send in, like we talked about earlier, when you send in a draft, it does need to be like, if you're an agent or a publisher or whatever, and you're reading things like typos and mistakes and grammar problems, those are going to turn you off. They, They are. It's not that it's like a complete shutdown, but for, you know, for some people it might be. Yeah. They will expect imperfections. Like Steve Lobby has like been in the industry for like, over 50 years I think at this point 60 years like he's been in a long time he's like we expect typos it's not gonna be perfect but like if you don't know your grammar rules you don't know you don't research like what the publisher is looking for like what's their style of writing don't be lazy Um, (laughs) don't say my book is the next Lord of the Rings Narnia Harry Potter etc don't do that that's a turn off (laughs) (laughs) like because you're not you're not the no. next J.R.L. Tolkien or J.K. Rowling. You're not. Sorry. I'm not <laughs> like, <to> say. <laughs> I don't want another Lord of the Rings. We already have Lord of no, the Rings. No, no, no. <laughs> I think it's just important that we recognize that, especially as readers, if, if you're a voracious reader, like recognize that writers are real human beings who go to Walmart and have to take their <laughs> trash out and, and have to clean up after their dog. And <laughs> my know, friend likes to say they put put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you. Exactly. And when you're presenting to your publisher, you want to be professional and clear Uh and kind and like, and willing to compromise. You need to be willing to like take criticism and be like, yes, they're working for you. I mean, they want your book to do well Uh too. They're not, they're, they're working with you and for you and they can do without you, but you can't do without them. They know the market better than you do. Yes. Yes. Because they're they are the market. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> like they're watching the ebb and flow of of what's doing being like what's popular and what's not and like what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. So yeah, good talk. That was really good. I hope that you got something out of that. Or that was. I feel like I ranted so much. No, it's okay. They were good rants. I ranted too. <laughs> I get too. very excited. Me too. Okay, I'm like let's... sharing my knowledge. 
Yes, I love it. <laughs> Let's talk about some recommendations. So in season two, we're going to do things a tiny bit differently, and we are just going to recommend one golden title that we love with no theme whatsoever, just one book that we have not talked about on the podcast before that we love. So my recommendation for this episode is Warbreaker by Brandon Sanderson. I love this book. This was a five-star book for me. It was so good. It was read by my favorite audiobook narrator, Alyssa Bresnahan. I love her. She did the Janie series. She's so good. She's my favorite audiobook narrator. Um, And Warbreaker, she did Warbreaker so well. It was interesting because like the only books I've ever heard her narrate have been like young, not younger, but like teen contemporary books. But this was like a new adult fantasy, basically. And (laughs) if you go on Goodreads, almost every single cover of Warbreaker is disgusting. Sorry, Brandon. It's disgusting. It's really bad. (laughs) This was published in like 2009, I think. It's not good. But (laughs) the book is amazing. So basically, this is a very big fantasy saga, but I didn't find it hard to understand. So at the very beginning, we have our main character, and she is the youngest of the royal family. And they're home kingdom it's very humble they're just normal people there I think it's every family has to give up one child to be a monk but the monks aren't traditional monks they're basically like the people of the community like if if there's a fence broken the monks go and fix it or they'll like do you know they'll just do kind things for people and fill needs basically and so the oldest in the royal family I'm pretty sure it's the oldest like became a monk she was like I want to do this and then one of the daughters of the king is engaged to um, a god king I will come back to that and then there's this youngest who is is our main character and she is you know a rule breaker (laughs) and she doesn't get a lot of like she's not considered to be that important and she likes it that way but at the beginning of the book, it comes time for the king to send the second daughter, Vivenna, to um, Halandrin, which is a different city, kingdom, area, to wed the god king to prevent a war between the kingdoms. However, they're pretty sure the war is going to come anyway, no matter what they do. And the, and the king loves Vivenna so much, he just can't imagine parting from her. So he sends the youngest daughter instead. <laughs> Obviously not a good dad move (laughs) I think you kind of discover more about why later though and so basically she's like okay I guess I'm going to go marry a god king now and to keep the peace she gets there things are not what she expected uh this book is appropriate I promise it's decently family friendly I would say very friendly to YA so I'm not going to spoil it though I can't tell you what happens when she gets there because that's a spoiler so there's her living as the god king's wife in this new kingdom and basically while her home kingdom is very plain and ordinary halandrin is basically a world of color and there's this thing called breath and basically you have a certain amount of breaths and including the one that's like like your last breath or whatever or you know everyone has at least one if you only have one breath that's considered like your soul and if that is taken from you then you're considered a drab and you don't have like any breath left in you so like you don't feel things the same way you're you're kind of empty and the there are these like 
the sect of quote-unquote gods and they're supposed to be returned so basically they lived a normal life and then they were were returned to fulfill something in the world again and they're basically immortal until they can basically give up all of their breath to save one person and then they're dead so every day people from the kingdom come and petition the gods and and the gods basically turn everyone away until they hear a case that is compelling enough for them to give up their life to help someone so but (laughs) the gods are (laughs) so one of the main characters is light song who is the god of bravery (laughs) i love light song so much he's basically the laziest person in the world he doesn't believe he's a god he doesn't believe in his own religion he's like i don't remember anything about my life before i don't think i'm actually a god like i'm not brave at all like i want everyone to do everything for me and i don't want any of this like i don't want to be involved in anything just leave me alone i'm not helpful i'm completely irrelevant and everyone loves him and he's like guys (laughs) don't like go i'm a jerk and he's not a jerk I actually love him so much and he is slowly starting to remember he basically realizes like I can read maps and then he's like I can juggle and he's like that must be for my past life so he starts trying all of these things to try to get a hint of his old life and his priest who is so patient and just always like will put up with all of his crap it's so nice I love his priest his priest is knows who he was but won't tell him and so we have that perspective and then the third perspective is or there's four actually the third perspective is Vivenna the sister who was supposed to be married to the god king who prepared her entire life for it she basically is like you sent my sister instead of me my entire life like was for this purpose and so she basically sneaks out and into the kingdom of halandrin to try to rescue her sister and she ends up being part of like the underground resistance against the war trying to stop the war from within halandrin and she meets these mercenaries that she works with and then there's this other character oh my goodness and his name is vasher his name is vasher and he he's such a good character he (laughs) is we don't really know who he is the mercenaries hate him but he's doing all these things and he has a sword that he could talk with in his mind like there's all of these different things that i know it sounds weird but it has to do with the breath it has to do with the colors so with the breath there's like this thing called your biochromatic like magic and there's these colors and it's just it's a very interesting like magic system i think it's i don't know how he comes up with that it's so good yeah anyway <laughs> this is warbreaker by brandon sanderson five stars highly recommend it was so much fun honestly it's just fun and the ending is will probably make you tear your hair out and sob so yeah there's supposed to be a book too but brandon sanderson is probably gonna take like another decade to even though it's already been like what 14 years it's probably going to be another 14 before we get the second book okay my recommend for this episode is a book i read over a year ago and it was the creepy i think it's the creepiest book i have ever read in my life okay say more (laughs) so it's the wish granter by cj redwine and it's book two in the ravenspire series but each book is a standalone. Like it takes place in the same universe, but they're each standalones. And so this one is a very, very dark retelling of Rumpelstiltskin. So the story takes place where there's these twins, Thad and, and Ari, and they are um, illegitimate children of the king of this kingdom, Sundrail, I think is how you say it. And they 
and their mother were like cast out of the kingdom um because they were illegitimate and so they're like on the run and their mom dies well she's murdered and um (laughs) and if i remember correctly the book opens up and you see they're on the run and and Arya is sleeping and Thad makes this deal with this mysterious person. Mm. And it is, how do you say his name? Tigu, I think is how you say it. And he is a fae. And he barters with souls. So you make a deal with him. And if you do not uphold your end of the deal, then he gets your soul. And so he makes a deal and Thad becomes the king of the kingdom. Stupid. And so through the book is... His sister doesn't know anything about this, but she starts to figure out something's going on. And so it's up to her. And I believe he's a soldier or a knight or something. No, he's a, he works in the stable and I can't remember his name because I I loved him though. He was the best character because he was like the street rat and his dad died and his mom's like addicted to this like substance. Um, And so he's trying to like keep his mom from like killing herself and then he meets Ari and he starts to like, he's training her um, to like defend herself or whatever. And so they start to fall in love and then they both figure out that something's going on with the king. There's like all of these like violence is breaking out in the city and it's because that isn't doing everything that Tigu wants him to. And so then, yeah, there's this whole thing and it's my word, so freaking creepy because like Ari's figuring it out, but like Tigu, like he literally like kills people and takes their souls. Do you know how the original story of Rappelstiltskin ends? It's horrifying. Okay, if you don't like gore, maybe skip 15 seconds ahead. <laughs> but basically, at the end of the original Rappelstiltskin fairy tale, when Rumpelstiltskin's name is guessed, he literally takes himself by the heel and he rips himself in half. Well, that's I, if I remember correctly, that's basically what happens in this one where they, they have, they're trying to figure out his name. Because So there's like this book of like stories about the fae and Ari ends up in Tigu's house and she's trying to defeat him so that her brother doesn't die. So it's like, it is so freaking creepy, but it's perfect for this time of year. Like, if you want to be scared. Because, because yeah, Seb is like, yeah, he's the weapons master. It says it right there in the blurb, Augustine. (laughs) Um, Did she just call yourself by your last name? Yeah, my grandma does that. She's, way to go, Bechtel. Um, Yeah, so... She figures out that it's the wish granter, which is Tigu, but she's trying to figure out his real name because when she speaks his real name, then he will destroy himself and like everyone's free. But he's like killing all these people in the town and like taking their souls and Ali doesn't or Ari doesn't want that to happen to her brother. So then Seb is like falling in love. It's like so cute. Like they are not now. I'm trying to defeat a demon. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed it, but it was it's very heavy. Okay, noted. But yeah, I gave it three and a half stars just because it is very heavy. It was creepy, which I don't do a lot of creepy books because they stress me out and make me kind of moody. But I read it during a season that was like a lot of fun and it was lighthearted like season. So I was able to handle the yes, yeah. the heaviness of the book. But it's not for everyone, but it's a very good spooky read for spooky season. So I recommend. Awesome. And it was Good The Wish Granter by CJ Redwine. And CJ is the sweetest person. Like she signed my copy. So so if you get scared when you're reading about her, you know, soul sucking demons, remember that she's a nice person. <laughs> and there is hope. Like I said, there is hope. Okay. It just yeah, takes a, it takes a long time for the hope to be realized. Okay. Well, I still want to read that. That sounds really good. 
Thank you for listening to Old Enough for Fairy Tales. I'm Anna, and you can find me at Anna underscore Augustine underscore author on Instagram. And I'm Kirsten, and you can find me at bookishly underscore aesthetic on Instagram. And you can find our podcast account at Old Enough for Fairy Tales podcast on Instagram as well, or send us an email at oldenoughforfairytales.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in episode two.